All right, welcome back to yet another episode of the Blasters and Blades podcast. We have uh, on deck uh, Mr. the fabulous Mr. Nicholas Garber, Nick Garber. He's actually still alive. Stabby has not killed him, so I consider today a success, sir. Yeah, I do too. Um, I just give her wine and chocolate and cuddles, and uh, that kind of staves off the uh, me getting stabbed. So you, you just stave off her homicidal tendencies with chocolate? Okay, I'm taking notes here. No, all three um, things. Gotta get her wine, chocolate, cuddles. Um, tell her she's pretty. You know, okay. typical guy okay. stuff. You know, you know, give them what they want. I'm just Take saying, you never dinner. tell me I'm pretty, Nick. Uh, it's because you're never on camera. <laughs> I barely know what you look like anymore. <laughs> all right hey all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the blasters and blades podcast just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies a place where magic is king the sky is the limit and space is the place the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction so without further ado we're gonna jump right in but first so uh, what have you been up to since the last time we chatted and i noticed because we talked about it in the pre-show you're wearing the same shirt as you did a couple weeks ago do you own any I, others i do i have i have to, i have a lot of shirts um but uh, I'll come across like four or five that end up in like a, a rotation for a while just because I like the way it feels, like the, the shirt material. Um, okay, okay. I got a so Spider-Man one that I'm really excited about wearing on air. But uh, Nice, nice. What are you up to? Uh, you know, working on comics. I'm doing more uh, strips for the uh, A Kid in His Comic uh, newspaper that comes out every month. It's also in Barnes & Noble. So if you're in Barnes & Noble, go check that out. Um, working on stuff for Apogee, uh, doing pinups, doing commissions, doing a lot of fun drawings. I mean, they're all fun, but, uh, some of them I get paid for and some of them I just do them because like, like today I was like, ah, I'm going to draw the Hulk today. I haven't drawn the Hulk in forever. And I, this is the first time that I've actually gotten the Hulk, what I consider like correct. Like I got the features right. You know, usually I just, he just. When I draw the Hulk, it's like a normal dude that I just kind of inflated, like put a hose in him and start pumping him up, you know. So I got the nuances of you know the tiny ears, the huge jaw, the the hairline that doesn't just kind of looks like he's wearing a toupee almost, you know. And then I did some coloring, so uh, mostly artwork, you know, protecting the border and you know dealing with that by making awesome art and then doing these podcasts with y'all. Okay, and so I am still working on the series that uh, Cursed Brigade with James M. Ward of the legendary TSR and gaming fame. Uh, we talked about all of that last time. He's been a guest on the show, so I won't belabor the point, but we turned in, we got several of the beta readers back for book one, so we turned that into the publisher uh, in the last time. Still working on book two. We don't have an exact word count because I think we talked about this uh, off air, but James Ward is a... Um, well, let's just say the man does not like change, and he still uses Word 97, so everything I send him has to be converted backwards for him to do his his part of the edits. Then he sends it back, and then I have to convert it forward, and then I have to reformat it, and then I can edit. So what I end up with is the book is in, like, 20 documents of, like, a few chapters at a time, chunks. It's like taking so eight track, never... moving it to cassette, moving it to yeah, <laughs> right? now to Blu-ray, and then MP4, and it's just like... <laughs> it oh, is. Man. I mean, I think he's worth it. His 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 stories are good, um, but so we're working on that. Um, so I'm not exactly sure the exact word count. I really do need to combine everything and see where we're at. But we're making progress with book two. Uh, we've got plans for book three and four of the series, which is the Egyptian arc. Uh, it's still up in the air where we go from from um, Egypt. Um, he wants to go to Greece. I've started thinking about like the the Alexander the Great route could be fun going to China. Some yeah. of their pantheon is pretty interesting. Hit through India on the way. Although I guess if you're coming from Egypt, you, you could do that through Greece. In Italy. Oh, absolutely. Maybe yeah. a little circuitous, but it could be done. Yeah, you could totally but, do that. Uh, but so we're working on that. Um, still waiting on some art from you, but um, you know, you've got it on your docket, on your dance card, as it were. So that's that's good for the uh, the side project with the uh, with the art. So I'm kind of excited about that. Um, um, have been editing because Bayonet Books is going to publish a collection of short stories from James Ward. And um, when I first started working with him, he wrote very textbook style because that's what game manuals are. If you think about like a D and D manual, they or are any they're of them. Very, they uh, read like an academic textbook. 
Exactly. That's and I, I was looking for the word. I you think that's. I think that's by design so that way the you don't put too, you give the framework but let the the players sort of build the world right like right. You, you give the setting and they they you know they add the walls so to speak um, and so I actually expected to have to do a lot more but he's learned because instead of just rewriting it for him like in the past they probably did for the fiction I'm like this is what we're gonna do and this is why and he's like oh cool why did no one tell me this and so he's been giving me phenomenal stuff so he went back through some of his old uh, short stories. And he redid them, and now we've got those getting ready to publish for him. Um, mostly, we're doing it as a favor. Uh, I'm not. I'm not in the business really of publishing anyone else except for the anthologies. But right. again, he's using Word 97, so you know he's not messing with vellum or any of the other, you know, PDF formatters to make a book. And I'm so we're uh, we're putting that together for him. Papyrus, you know. You with know, don't give him ideas. He just might, a, but I can't hate him because he mailed me as a quill. He mailed me a kopesh for Christmas. Mm. So, I mean, you can't hate a guy that gives you stabbies, right? No, can. Sounds awesome. I mean, that that's a sign of love right there. And, it is. Uh, and he mailed me, hug. he mailed me a, a copy of his Castles and Crusaders um, Egyptian Codex. Nice. I thought he was giving me like the gods and demigods, like because he said it's a first print. I'm thinking I'm getting one of the originals. And I remember telling Walt, he's like, "Dude, is that an original?" And I'm like, "I don't know." That's what he said. He goes. I'll give you money for it. I bet we could sell it on eBay. And I told uh, uh, James that he goes, I don't like either of you that much. If I had one of the originals of the, the oh, Gods yeah. and Demigods, I'd be selling it. I'm like, oh. Or, He's like, but yeah. CNC, Castles and Crusaders is awesome too. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. But I, uh, the references have been fun to go through. So why reinvent the wheel if he's done all the work? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I'll put a link to it if you're interested, dear listener. Castles and Crusaders is put out by Troll, Troll Lord Games. And, I mean, if you're doing a gaming company, that's kind of a cool name. Like, I, yeah. I can't hate on that. Oh. Um, they, they, they nailed it on that one. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I've got – but I'll throw the links to TLC, uh, Troll Lord Games and um, Castles and Crusaders so you can, you can look into it. Although, periodically, they're on Humble Bundle where you can buy a bunch of the PDFs for, for good price. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what I've been working on. And, uh, and of course, now that we've got that out of the way, we didn't spend 30 minutes telling army stories this time. So, I mean, I, I guess think that's we got it. I think we got kind of out of our system last time for, for uh, another year or two or yeah. a can of yingling or something. I don't know. I'm uh, we're sober. Case, so Casey, case. well, you're sober. I'm, uh, I had, Ish, I had, sober-ish. yeah, I still have my wits about me. I, I thought today was a good day to have an old fashioned, and uh, so I've made two now. And uh, but I'm getting ready to eat soon. After this, I'll go eat, and that. So is the right is up. the old fashioned in honor of James Ward, who uses the old fashioned windows, and the old fashioned word perfect? Sure, why not? I just there like you go, James. This this drinks for you, James Ward. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that's what we've been up to. Um, before we get started on the topic today, which you know, if you're listening to the uh, to this, you probably saw the title and you know it's going to be about historic or excuse me, heroic last stands in sci-fi and fantasy. But um, if there are any topics you want us to host, you're like, hey, I'd really like a panel about this. Like, let us know in the Facebook group, message us through the email, like all the contacts we give at the end of the at the end of the episode. Reach out. We we take suggestions. We're we're all for it. We are talked. We uh, the host Nick uh, Seska and I have talked. And we want to start doing more than just interviews because we want to be more than just a platform where other people come to talk we, about themselves. We do love talking to authors, though, but we're trying to oh, absolutely the content. We, we just we want to have some fun with us. Like I, I have more fun when it's just us BSing. Uh, and Sasko's like, why don't why don't we record this crap? Right. And so that's what we started doing. Some of that was just us. So let us know what you think. If there are topics you want, if there are guests you want, like I'm still open to it. I do try to balance the established authors with the um, the noobs because we were all new once and someone gave us a chance. So we try to return the favor. And if you guys want to talk more about comic books, I mean, that's the reason they brought me on the darn show. So absolutely. I don't know enough it, to know what I don't know. <laughs> But uh, we've talked about Nick and I. Um, we've got to probably do it over the summer because we need some lag time to or leeway to organize it. But he's going to reach out to some indie comic creators, and we're going to look at doing maybe a indie comic day, like make it a thing, and then invite some of them on if uh, there isn't Saturday, one already. Funny you should mention um, the first Sunday or Saturday in August is uh, Indie Super Sunday or Saturday or something like that. It's um, it's the indie comic version of Free Comic Book Day, or those of us that can afford to put out <laughs> free comic books, 
um, that's kind of our jam. So yeah, it's usually, it's in August. I'll, I'll confirm and let you guys know, but that would be a perfect day to, uh, to do that or at least release the episode. Yeah. So we're working, we're working on that because like one of the things we did uh, when bringing Nick on was because we wanted to diversify more than just the sci-fi and the fantasy books. Like we've, uh, we've interviewed when we were, uh, when we were sci-fi shenanigans, we interviewed one actor that was in sci-fi film. Um, while we don't want to make digital media the focus, uh, we're not opposed to finding some of them if we can get some that would come on the show. I just don't have the time and the patience to cut through all the slack of, you know, PR flax and whatnot. So I we do. haven't we haven't pursued it. But we're looking <laughs> at that too. Nick knows some people though, so we're gonna see what we can do. If they would just answer back, it'd be so much easier. But uh, I understand everyone's I mean, busy. I, we're all working on stuff. That's how we pay the bills. So I do have a question for you before we dive into last stands. You mentioned yeah. you drew the Hulk today. I did. Um, which Hulk, Hulk did you do? The one from the 80s show? The one from the modern Marvel interpretation? Uh, I Well, it's kind of weird. I did a little of little Eric Larson. And a little bit of Todd McFarlane Hulk with a dash of Jim Lee. And I'm just name dropping like crazy. But if you see it, I can bring it up if you'd like. Uh, let's bring it up here. Hulk. And then we'll just let the uh, our dear viewers take a take a quick look at it. Hold on. Should have had it prepped anyway. I know better. Nick, you know better. All right. So I got that up. And you can take a look at what Hulk that was. It's got a little bit of me. <coughs> Bless you. <coughs> My lord, I don't know what that was. A demon, maybe? Exercise the demon? But anyway, <laughs> it's, got, it's got, a little, got a little bit of me in there. Um, I really wanted to do a... I haven't drawn the Hulk in forever, so I wanted to give him another crack, and I also wanted to kind of try my coloring skills a little bit and, uh, and practice on those, because I like being a well-rounded artist. I mean, I can do pencils, I can do pencils and inks, um, I really want to start doing coloring, um, not because I'm going to try and push my colors out of the job jobs at Apogee, but just because I want that's a skill set I wanted to develop also. Because I think I've, uh, even though I'm still learning the pencil and ink and and all that stuff, constantly growing as an artist, this is the thing that I'm most uh, I don't know. I'm not confident in my coloring skills, so it's something I kind of want to work on and and get better at uh just in case you know just in case so. okay. there's a little bit of me, a little bit of me and a couple other artists that have inspired me throughout my life uh going on um the big thing was uh i used to give him a regular nose and so i've i shortened the nose and made it kind of like uh made it a little bit more um i guess caveman-ish you know so he's got the short nose he's got the large bridge and uh, the small ears, because that's what I loved about like classic Hulk, is that like he was so disproportionate. Like he'd have this giant jaw and a huge forehead, his tiny nose and small ears, you know. And his hairline would uh, wouldn't go all the way down, you know, like a normal person's. It's kind of like it was almost like a like a high fade, a high end dumb, you know. Yeah. So. That's so the. Okay. Uh, it looks good though. Um, oh, is the hair purplish, or is that just me being colorblind? That's you colorblind. It's more of a blue. I mean, his hair is black, you know, because uh, Banner's hair is black. But old comic book trick, you know, can't make it just jet black. You got to put some of those highlights in there. And usually the color they choose they chose was blue. So, like, for the longest time before I knew about that, I thought Superman's hair was blue. Okay. That's how they did it. So, But already. Uh, whatever works. So we, um, without, I guess, beating around the bush too much, um, the last thing we were going to do is, uh, last time we were talking about the things, you were going to show your art sample, uh, if you could do that, and then we'll get started, because it was really good, and I thought it'd be kind of cool yeah. to yeah. share that. Um, oh, let, me sh let me share this real quick. and. Right, just because I think it's cool. I like all the pretty pictures. The pretty pictures. So when we were talking about uh, 
the maturity level has increased in in comics as far as like not only in print but in uh the tv media other media representations you know so this is a page that i did for the crimson guardians issue one uh it's page nine i believe and we're doing a little backstory on a character called reckoning is it reckoning yeah reckoning um he was a sf baddie you know doing bad things to bad people for god and country you know, so I, I really wanted to um, kind of stretch my wings on like poses and weapon systems and violence and things like that. So this is I think this page best illustrates what I was uh, what I wanted to achieve. So he's like running through the courtyard, just smoking dudes with his M4, you know. OK. All right. And so the topic that uh, Nick wanted to talk about today, and I'm going to pull up some art that is. Uh, Germain, um, we actually did an anthology about heroic last stands, we being Bayonet Books. And um, my claim to fame is this, is we made the editor cry because uh, it nice. moved her. So I, I think that's a win. And uh, this was a professional editor we hired from Red Adept Editing. They're great. If you uh, if you didn't know, you should check them out if you need an editor. Um, just send them, tell them Billy Bob sent you. Um, Billy Bob. I don't know if that would actually do anything because I don't know if we get referrals, but but if you want to mention J.R. Hanley and the Blasters and Blades, whatever, it couldn't hurt. Maybe they'll sponsor us. But Red Adept Editing edited for us, and they they wrote out, reached out, uh, and let us know that we uh, we made the the narrator, or excuse me, we made the editor tear up a little bit. But we're here to talk about heroic last stands or in last stands in general in both sci-fi and fantasy. So, what had you thinking about this topic, Nick? That you wanted it to be something we talked about today? Um, you know, um. What I really like about, well, sci-fi and fantasy, we start getting into like epic type stuff, you know, where it's more than one movie, it's more than one book. You, there's always going to be a last stand, you know, to uh, to create tension and drama uh, between the viewer or reader and what's going on on screen or on paper, where they're just outmatched. There's like the bad guys outnumber them like ten to one, you know, they're they're just, they, they don't have enough resources to fight these people off or fight the bad guys off. And it's, and then, well, I mean, historically, usually like the good guys win, but then there's times where the good guys don't, you know, they get overrun. They have to escape. And, uh, you know, you put up a valiant effort. I mean, like the, they will write your name down in the halls of Valhalla type stuff, but they still got their asses kicked. They still lost, you know. But on the other time, there well, is the, the time though. They 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 do a good job of fending. They they show their feats of strength and their their uh, determination and their willpower to defeat a uh, an oversized army that they sh had no business even fighting. You know, they should have ran, but they did. They stood their ground and they're like, "No more. This is the line. You're not crossing it. We're not running no more." I love. So it. this I is. This is the iconic, uh, the Battle of Thermopylae of the 300 Spartans. Although everyone thinks it was just 300 against the million man, although we think that number is um, exaggerated to suspend, but the immortals of the Persian army. But there were actually um, Thebians and uh, forget what other Arcadians. There we go. So there, was, there were others that stayed, but what the 300 part came from, from that lore, is when they realized they were about to get overrun, they couldn't hold the line. They sent them home to reinforce the army that would be gathering to to face this. So in the end, it was the 300. And even then it wasn't 300 because some of them had died already. Right. Um, and you have the uh, the famous Molan lobby from that, um, surrender your weapons, come and take them. Right. Um, I don't know if the, the uh, when they said, you know, we'll rain arrows and a good will fight in the shade. They did. I don't that, know if that, that line is, was. That is historically accurate. Is it? I didn't know if I was from that it or is. the movie. Oh, well, I mean, the movie got it from um, from the original story, which the comic was based off. A lot of people don't know that 300 is a comic made by uh, Frank Miller. I didn't um, know that. It, yeah, he wrote it and he uh, he did the artwork for it, too. Um, he's a legend in the industry. Um, so I'm trying to remember who the Greek writer was that first put down the tale of the Battle of Thermopylae or the Battle of Hell's Gates. Um, 
but yeah, that that's a historically accurate um, quote. Where Herodotus, the, maybe was it Herodotus? I, he I think that it was. I, that does sound familiar. It probably was Herodotus, and you know, yeah, that's an accurate quote. It's like, well, our arrows will um, blot out the sun, and then one of the Spartans was like, well, "Then I guess we'll fight in the shade." And then it has a famous uh, plaque that sits, of course, my understanding is where the actual um, pass at Thermopylae is not in the same place it was because, you know, coastlines shift over the years. But, right. but the famous plaque at one point in time was something like, uh, let all who pass us by know that here obedient to Sparta's laws we lie. Basically, it was like we died fighting. Um, the yeah, famous absolutely. Spartan quote was come back with your shield or on it, which is just yep. a prehistoric way of saying death before dishonor. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's, um, it's pre Benning or pre Fort Moore, I guess, is what they call it now. I'll never call it. It's Fort always Moore. Fort Benning to me. That's right. That's right. It's always going to be the the Fort Benning school for unruly boys, or or the John Wayne school for wayward boys. I've seen that one too. Although I guess it's yeah. boys and girls now, since the ladies are in the infantry. Welcome aboard. Embrace the suck. Um, yeah. Here's your rug. The yeah. <laughs> here's your Alice pack. Although I guess you can call him Steve. Um, but the, so one of the things that, you know, first let's define a, hero a last stand cause they're not all heroic, but a last stand is the idea of, uh, the things have gotten so desperate that you have to make a stand for insert reason to the last man. A lot of times it's so others can get away or to buy time for the, um, army to gather, but generally it's, things are so dire that we're going to fight to the death because we need time or, you know, we're losing anyway. Right. Right. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's just like, uh, Hey, is this the hill you want to die on? Well, these stories are like, yeah, this is the hill I'm going to die on, you know, for God and country, the gods, my people, whatever reason they want to give, they drew that line in the sand. They're like, yeah, this, this is where I'm standing. I'm probably going to die and I'm okay with it. So it's basically, and I'm stealing this from Wikipedia because they're not always historically accurate. Check their sources, follow the links, but they generally will do a pretty good job of being concise. But a, a last stand is a military situation in which a body of troops holds a defensive position in the face of overwhelming odds and very insurmountable, uh, overwhelming and insurmountable odds. And, you know, when they win, even cooler, but most of the time right. they're heroic last stands because they're going to die. Um, in fact, in the, uh, during the British empire, a lot of times those heroic last stands when they were, or the heroic, you know, assaults were called forlorn hopes because, you know, abandon hope, all you who join this party uh, sort of mentality. Right. Now, the next part that we have to discuss if we want to talk about this is what makes them so emotional? What what makes them resonate with us? Because we didn't know any of those people. It's 100 years. I mean, look, we're talking about the Spartans, and that's at least 2,000 years ago. Right. Um, I think what makes them resonate with uh, viewers and readers is the buildup beforehand. You know, any good writer, any good storyteller is going to make you give a damn about these characters, you know, and they'll, they'll do it in the shortest amount of time as they possibly can, especially with 300, because you didn't have that much time. It was a movie. It was a comic book. Um, so they really established early on why you should give a damn, you know, is it the honor? Is it something that uh, you see, in those characters that you you feel those values that you think you have that you see in those characters too you know everybody loves like the uh you know the action hero it's like everybody like every red-blooded american you know likes to think that in those circumstances in that time we would do the same thing most cases probably not but uh we, we i like had a um, the hero and the army I had a platoon I think the one thing the common man can relate to this is because it's just average. They're not superheroes. They're not, I mean, unless it's in fiction, right? But most of the time, right. it's just your average soldier. And that's one of the things that, like, for instance, this isn't really a heroic last stand, but like the charge at Gettysburg, for instance, when Pickett's, well, what's left of his army made it's it across charged. the field, right? During that charge, like when they're at the fence and they've clearly lost and they're looking around and no one's left. Like, they could have just killed them. Like, they were still on the battlefield, but they clasped their hands, gave them a hug. They sent them to horrific prisons afterwards. But, I mean, there's a universality, a brotherhood of the warriors. I mean, there's a reason that old army cadence that you and I had during our era is, if I die on a Chinese front, bury me with a Chinese grunt. And it's not because, like, oh, we're pro-communism or we're anti-communist. It's because, in the end, we have more in common with a common fighting man than we do with the people that sent us to war. Absolutely. Right. Cause you, cause and that's what makes... Ground. 
Right, and that's what makes to me the heroic last stand so so moving is because it's it's you it's your brother, your cousin, your uncle, your sister, whatever. Like it could be you. Yeah. Um and one of the um one of the things that I think makes them stand out is because, you know, we want to believe in the the angels of our better nature, right? Like that we would yeah. we would do that. I did have a platoon sergeant uh, before I deployed to Iraq the first time, who were, all these people were talking tough about what they were going to do when we invaded Iraq, because this was before the invasion when we were mobilized. And he's like, "All you, all we're going to see are asses and elbows, because all you want to be tough guys are going to run." That's my attempt at a Texas accent, by the way. Don't hate me, but the guy was from Texas, so he talked funny. That was horrible. Um, horrible. Horrible. I'll do better. Well, there's a reason I don't do voice acting. All right, let's just we'll lay that on the table right now. <laughs> don't die. Don't die. You're going to yeah. swallow your dip. Not but, today. Um, not, today. But, <laughs> not today, Satan. But yeah, so it's one of those things where in reality, when, when crap hits the fan, the average person doesn't always react accordingly. It's one of the things that makes the American military and Western militaries in modern settings so unique is that we train over and over and over again. And it's like Von Steuben told us during the colonial revolution in America. You right. do it to muscle memory so you don't have to think about it in battle. Yeah, because, it becomes a uh, gross motor movement instead of a fine motor movement. Right. And so the idea is, if you don't have that, though, in most of the heroic last stand stories, they were just your average citizen that were drafted at the last minute. You know, they might have been uh, standing militia in that they met every weekend. But, you know, they, showing up and playing with your firelock on, on, you know, Greta Green or, or Lexington Green or whatever, like, that's a lot different than doing that in the face of the enemy. You're just right. playing soldier at that point. But you had the Spartans, you know, we'll go back to 300. The Spartans were a warrior society. You know, they casted out the weak uh, upon infancy. You know, if you look sickly or deformed, they, they got rid of you. You know, they were trying to create the superior warrior. And they trained all the time. Their, their rite of passage to become a man was called the, uh, the agogi. You know, and they would have to go out there and survive and hunt wolves and, like, bring back stuff to prove that they did what they did, you know? So you got this society that all they, they're like the Delta force of uh, ancient Greeks, you know? So when, when the fit hit the Shan, they would try to make an alliance with Sparta to come help, you know, because they were and, a warrior society. And there's, there's value in that. It's also has its drawbacks and limitations. If uh, you know, if you, what is that expression? If you have a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. Sure does. Um, and so there, there's some there's some danger in that, but there is there's value in that too. I think. I, um, I think it's an important but, role. Um, they and they're also known as being pretty uh, uh, cutthroat politicians, probably figuratively and literally. But uh, war through other means—that's what politics is. Yeah, war through. Other Very means. Machiavelli before Machiavelli was a thing. <laughs> yeah, by uh, like a um, thousand years. <laughs> Yeah, so the Thermopylae, for instance, was like 480 or 481 BC, which is now BCE. So it used to be before Christ, and now it's before Common Era. Uh, yeah. I don't know if the timeline switched or they just added the E at the end. I think um, they just added it's the been e. a while. Yeah, I yeah, I think so. It, it's been a while since I took um, ancient history as an undergrad. So when I say it's 480, I'm, I'm there's a big ish in there. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> ish you know we'll we'll inflect um, a higher pitch when we say it uh 480 right right but so one of the things that as i will say is the modern military we did also have our gobe i mean we had to go through our final ftx at fort benning and survive on mres that tried to destroy us from within so yeah. i mean that's almost the same thing ish, <laughs> ish. all right it's definitely so ish. we're gonna roll with it we've <laughs> We've set up what a what a last stand is, and we've given some real life examples. So we're gonna play the commercial because uh, Bayna Books is sponsoring this episode with our on deadly grounds uh, stories of desperate last stands from today's top sci fi authors. We're gonna play that commercial, and when we get back, we're gonna start citing examples from um, sci fi and fantasy. So give us just a minute, and, and roll uh, that oh, clip. And we're gonna roll that across clip. a thousand battlefields and a million wars. There is always a question: What do you do when all the chips are on the table? Do you run, try to find salvation in the arms of an easy peace, or do you stand and fight and send your enemies into whatever hole they crawled out of? On Deadly Ground, a heroic Last Stand anthology has ten stories addressing that question. 
Each character faces the impossible in different ways, but all will be tested before the day is done. Can they earn a heroic victory amongst the endless eternity of space, or are they doomed to fall into obscurity? Doomed, I tell you! Doomed plot twist, they all die. Actually, I don't know that all of I... them die, because that will be a spoiler, but uh, I mean, given the title, know. I'm just saying... Give me a second to talk about the this cover art here, though. They took a Go galaxy class starship from like Star Trek, and then it's like Star Trek and an X Wing had a baby, and that's that. And it looks awesome. Like <laughs> it is so damn cool. I'm just I'm waiting wanna, for someone. You want to know what I told him? What? I told him I wanted Star Trek meets BSG on a run on the Death Star. As a joke, and he sent me this. He's like, "Bet I got you, Bram. I got you." And I got this, uh, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm gonna be in my bunk. I need a moment." Yeah, I need a moment. Like, I'll be in my bunk. Definitely pulling a. Uh, uh, oh my god, what is his name on? So it's supposed to be X Wing. Can you see it? Yeah, the X Wing there, X -wing and then you got the Enterprise slash uh, some Battlestar going on. <laughs> up at the helm and then, and then you see the uh and then of course you see the uh the, the death star the trench. um yeah yeah with the trench run um and it was like it started as a joke and i learned with my narrator not to make jokes with him because he takes them very literally mostly to mess with me but in this case like the results were so amazing so it's uh jim uh jamie glover of cerulean uh designs he's a british chap uh, we're supposed to call them yeah. chaps right that's in britain chaps. mike because in, in texas the chaps mean something different I don't totally know. Different. Chaps are different you in Texas. Wanna, you wear chaps, and you don't want to wear your mates. Or maybe you do. I don't know. Uh, you know, we're just going to move on. It's not that kind of episode. <laughs> but so um, the idea is, of course, you know, they, they resonate because we want to envision ourselves. That's why we read these stories. We want right. to envision them as ourselves. We want to see good triumph over evil. Uh, we get sick of some of the the mainstream properties that become so watered down to try to appease everyone that you get pablum and, and right. you know milk toast nonsense and so we like to see where the events matter like one of the biggest things that you and i've talked about offline when we see combat in books and on screen and then it's like the gi joe ending where they all laugh and you know smoke a cigar and they go about like nothing happened like that you know that stuff changes you forever and so one of the things, you know, with Heroic Last Stands is people show that this is what really happens. Like, it's not a Sunday stroll. No, right? it's it, not. It changes I, you forever. I, so we try to show some of that. I would think some of my experiences uh, in combat were more uh, Quentin Tarantino-esque than they were G.I. Joe. You know, it was like something so violent and just so grotesque happened that you you go to dark humor and you're just like, Huh. Think the chow hall is going to be open when we get back? You know, while you're looking inside a dude's cranium because you took it, you know, you surgically took it off with a 50 cal because the 50 cal didn't actually hit him. It just went by him enough where the air pressure just surgically took the top of his dome off, you know, and it's sitting yeah. in the back seat and you're just like, you're there. One, uh, my buddy, uh, well, we'll just call him Eric. Um, he was eating an apple. When we went and checked on the dude, after we came in and cleared it and made sure there was nothing going on, he pulls out an apple from the chow hall out of his pocket. And I was like, oh, man, I'm so hungry because we've been out there for like 16 hours. And then I was like, oh, that reminds me. So I took a slug of water and I pulled out some Copenhagen, threw a lip in. And we're staring inside this dude's cranial cavity. You know, anybody who saw us doing it would be like, man, these guys are just certifiably insane. I'm like, no, we've just been desensitized. You know? What What doesn't kill you gives you unhealthy coping mechanisms. Absolutely, like alcohol. And so, and this will this will be, I guess, the army stories we weren't going to do. But like, I remember there was a time I was pulling Overwatch because so if you got the roads went black in Iraq, the gun trucks basically became detachable units and assigned to wherever. Um, you know that because you worked with some of the gun trucks mm -hmm. when you were traveling through. If your if your main unit is stuck because the roads are black, like they don't say, okay, you get a vacation too, there, Mister Gunner. It's like <laughs> we got some work for you, brother. And so we were doing Overwatch, and our platoon sergeant he came to uh, to do it with us because he just wanted to get away from the talk. Because you know, staff pogs right. are staff pogs, right? That's a universal. Yeah. Um, and so I remember 
we were sitting there and they there was this guy in a, a tricked out like Nissan truck with uh, they had the we call them tacticals. I don't know what their official name is. That's just what we call them where they mounted like guns and they tried to turn their little Nissan into a tank. Technicals. Um, which technicals. There we go. And so we just we lit it up because, you know, if it's them or me, I'm I'm coming home to have my Starbucks, um, which is reminding me, man, I miss green bean. Well, that's a hell of a Oh, my God. The green bean coffee. Green bean coffee. Uh, so so that's what we did after this mission. Like we were, we, we lit it up. Right next to an Anthony's pizza. Yes. And none of them walked away from this. Unfortunately, they (laughs) they got to their wish and they met Allah. And I don't say that with any hate in my heart. Like it's been a while. So I've moved on. I've, you know, made my peace with all that. But I remember when we got back on base, uh, my platoon sergeant was looking at me and he's like, Hey, uh, Handley, we're going to, uh, to the green bean and the, the pizza place. I didn't remember it was called Anthony. I just remember pizza. He's like, yeah, was, after they had today, a you're not chicken pizza. It was the first time I'd ever seen it and it would wreck your insides, but it tasted so good. We did the meat lovers. I don't know why I remember that, but it's like, we, so we got back on base and like, there's the first time where like you shoot at vehicles, the vehicle goes boom. But when everyone's shooting at it, was it you? Was it your friend? You don't know. No so you just think, okay, it wasn't me. Like you don't have to process it. This was the time where when I was in the turret, there's no way it was anyone but me reaching out that far with a fifty, with what the fifty could do, right? Yeah. Uh, and so there was no question. So I remember I went into the porta potty and I cried like a little girl. And when I went out, uh, I came out of the porta potty and he punched me in the shoulder and he's like, "Man up!" You and then he used some not so friendly words that we won't say on the podcast. He's like, "We're grabbing, uh, we're grabbing not the defect today. That, that shit will kill you." And so we went and he bought the the three gun trucks that were on my my fire team. We all went and he bought us all green bean coffee. Oh my goodness, their espresso chocolate mocha thingy, whatever they called it, because they had weird names for everything. Yeah. Like, I don't care how many calories. I'll run extra laps to drink another one of those. All you right? didn't need to over there. It was too good. That was the thing. No, you sweat it all out, but like you sweat it all out. I can I was eating it's memories, man. It, it brings back every the, day for lunch. Yeah, the, the the memories bring back the taste buds too, because now I'm tasting it. But uh, yeah. so we sat there, uh, the, right you know, it's the right nine here. of us plus him. So there were 10 total. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and he's like, just remember, like, war isn't to die for your country. It's to make the other SOB die for his. Of course, that's a patent from the movie. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if he, he was old enough that he, that, but I don't know that he did either. But but uh, old school was um, old enough that he watched that when it came on the big screen. Um, he should have been retiring at home with his rocker. But Uncle Sugar said, no, we got one more rodeo for you there, clown. Um, yeah. and so it's like one of those things where like this, that kind of stuff changes you. And so when you see it in the books and we're going to do another episode about writing realistic combat, but when you see it in the books and they don't take it seriously, it doesn't ring true. One of the things in every time that it's done right, these heroic last stands or last stands in general do is they make it matter. Yeah. Right. It wasn't just insert, you know, extra B 27 died. It's like, no, you know, Jim Bob, he had a brother he left behind. And and we talk about who he left behind because most of the time your loved ones back home are why you're doing it. Like I'm I'm holding this pass at Thermopylae because, you know, if they get to Sparta, my wife is there, my kids are there, my whatever, right? My way and of life, my society. My, my way people. of right. And in many cases, that's exactly what's on the line with these last stands in fiction. So we we've talked about the real world ones. We've talked about some of our experiences in combat that sort of gave us that expression. I will tell you, and this before we move on to examples, when I was in Iraq, we were coming out of LSA Anaconda. We've talked about this briefly on the uh, drunken infamous episode where we talked about Forgotten Ruin because uh, it will do it live uh, after we started drinking and the guest was just a few minutes late, eh, a few-ish. Um, we had found, that's when you and I found out that we'd actually fought together in Iraq because, I mean, when yeah. you're doing gun trucks, you're you're talking call signs and like, you know, for all, like a lot of the call signs overlap. So your, your eye in the sky is your, uh, your medevac is always dust off. It doesn't matter where it's coming from, what the helicopter, what the, what it's always dust off, right? Your yeah. eye in the sky is always handcuff or sheriff that's, that's relaying to the people on the base. And so yeah. like, they're just another name most of the time. Like, I don't know, you know, you from Adam, I might recognize the call sign we've interact interacted before if it's another unit, but I don't know who's sitting behind that turret. I don't know any of these people, right? And so we called in. We get we're coming out of Anaconda, out of the West Gate. I think it was the West Gate. I just remember there's a berm on either side, and there's a village to our right as we're leaving. And we started taking fire from the the village. We're trapped between a het convoy in front of us, 
um, another 915 convoy behind us that we the, the next unit was escorting, and then a het convoy. So an RPG took out the lead het. And one of the things people don't realize, those things will turn on a dime because every one of their 18 or 16 axles has an independent like turn. Yeah. Um, every one of their wheelbase has an independent axle. But that means they don't back up. They don't have to. So when you when you blow the first one and you got the the banks, there's no you're trapped. Like it's the perfect textbook ambush. What pisses me off the most about that day is I didn't see it coming either, and I should have because it was so textbook. You get used to them sucking so bad that when they're competent, it kind of catches you by surprise. Yeah, when you get uh, guys, that, bad guys that are good at their job, it throws you off. Especially because we were used to you know essentially goat herders with guns, right? I'm not. That's derogatory. I don't mean it that way, but they were not trained professional warriors, right? Like they were uh, militias, essentially. Universal fighting plan individuals. That's that. I mean, that's what we used to call in combatives. Like most people that aren't trained, they call it the universal fight plan. They're just going to come in swinging, trying to throw haymakers and stuff like that. The same with and a so lot who, of the uh, interns we were fighting. So whoever this guy leading plan. it was, like hats off to him. If I see him, I'm going to punch him in the face, but hats yeah, off to him. Uh, but they took out the lead convoy, so now we can't go forward. They took out – or the lead vehicle. They took out the rear vehicle, so now we can't back up, and we're just stuck. Yeah. And then, of trapped. course, uh, we were trapped, and I couldn't go anywhere because while my Humvees were maneuverable, my job was to protect the civilians in the convoy. Right. Um, and I'll tell you offline the funny story that happened that day. Um, let's just say a guy was um, – figured his last day on Earth, he might as well have one last time with – um, his own company, shall we say, uh, yeah, in the well, middle of the firefight. And I'm just like, I mean, I can't even hate you, bro. Um, combat Jack. I guess combat I told you now. What's the point of telling you after? But anyway, combat Jack. we started combat. <laughs> We started trading fire with them, and we just couldn't dislodge them from this vehicle. They had – they are these these buildings. They had just, like, reinforced it so well that even the 50 wasn't cutting through. Uh, I never did go and investigate. Um, the base security ended up going manually and clearing it after the convoys had gotten out. So we called in helicopters, like we were calling in air support. And now keep in mind, tracers go in both directions. The green convoys that clearly are army shooting, they're getting shot at. The helicopters were so afraid of being charged with murder that they said, oh, well, we can't we can't positively identify the target. We do not right. have PID and they bounced. They left us hanging. So the only thing we had that was making any difference was my rifle, because I was a squad designated marksman. I got to play with toys a little bit nicer than some, not quite as cool as the uh, Rangers got to use. Um, um, we were like, if, if Rangers were the professional league, I was like the T-ball team. Oh, God. If you look at like, it's the basic leg grunt, right? Um, that, so I, was, I, I wouldn't put it that way. I mean, uh, at least self-deprecating humor. It's just what I bring to the table. But so, you know, I'm trying to, trying to even the odds as much as I can. Cause you got to figure every fifth vehicle is army, which means every, you know, four out of every five are civilians with no weapons. Right. right. So you're just trying to, trying to whittle it down as much as you can. And I remember when the helicopters left, I looked at, because I was in the turret that day, I looked at uh, my the guy that was sitting in my TC seat, my truck commander seat, and I'm like, this might be it, bro. Like, you know, this this is going to be the end. And so when we called the Reaper, which was the, the the Ranger sniper element that was nearby, I don't think you guys were out of Anaconda, but you just were in the area. Like, yeah. basically, I remember, and you know the guy, we won't say his name because OPSEC and stuff, but, you know, I'd like to buy them a beer. I remember he told me I was an idiot because I was exposing myself on purpose, trying to draw fire away from the civilians. I really thought that was going to be the end. Like, that was it. And then you guys came. So it's one of those things where, like, when you see yourself in the moment and you think, oh, my God, it's this is the end, you can yeah. appreciate why people run. And, like, I don't judge them as harshly as I did before the war because, man, I was tempted. Like, yeah, it, it was only weaponized stubbornness that kept me there. And not running like other people had in the past, right? Like, well, that's that—that's the training. Is I mean, that's the best way to put it. Weaponized stubbornness. The the grunts that come out of, you know, John Wayne School for where wayward boys, we're 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 dumb as hell, but it's trained into us. So it's like stand your ground. And what you're given is a perfect example of you know a last stand. You know, and it came out good for us. The good guys win because your sniper was really really good. Uh, uh, yeah, he was. As long as, he's still as, long as I was bait, <laughs> right? He's still alive. I, I talked to him. Uh, you, you made that introduction, and I really appreciate. It. I owe that man a bottle of something. Um, but we did. Um, like I stayed in in the position because I vacated the turret to get my um, you know SDM rifle out. Um, and you know when I was doing that, like 
he was, I remember he told me I was a moron for exposing myself, but he was laughing when he said it, which was weird. Cause you know, we're in the middle of a firefight who the hell laughs then. Cause I wasn't laughing. I, I can tell you that. Um, but it's one of those things where you can appreciate that. And I will say that I, I don't know who said it, but there was, it was MacArthur line about, you know, give me the, the West point football players. Cause they'll, they'll take the hit. Like there's yeah. something to, to be said for that contact sport mentality. I played rugby in college and I remember like I would try to shy away from the hit in the beginning or pass the, uh, pass the pit uh, to somebody else on the pitch. And my yeah. coach was like, uh, I, I got you, bro. And so he's like, after that, the rule was Hanley had to, if he got the ball, he couldn't pass it. I just had to go for it and take the hit every single time to the point where like I started getting a reputation for getting blood on people's uniforms, either mine or theirs, because I wouldn't pass. I just, I take the hit. I think that kind of mentality that the infantry beats into you is what oh, makes absolutely. us be able to do that. Yeah. I think when it's done well in fiction, you see some of that too. So you had some examples when we were talking the other night when we were setting this up of yeah. those kinds of last stand moments, whether we win or lose. Cause you know, sometimes it's cool for the last stand to win. You gotta be careful because every battle can't be Thermopylae, right? Sometimes it just ends, right? That's just where the, where the fat lady sings for you. But yeah. what are some good examples in fiction? Oh. Uh, the Battle of Helm's Deep, Lord of the Rings. Okay, so what makes that one special to you, or stick out? Uh, well, they just got their uh, their. I don't. He wasn't exactly a king. I guess he was a king. Yeah. Um, can't remember his name. Um, but y'all know who he is. Um, he was under the spell of Saruman. Uh, he finally breaks it. The orcs and all the all the bad guys are coming. And they outnumber their forces probably like 101. And they're just surrounding the castle. They're surrounding Helm's Deep. And, you know, they they, they rangered up on that one, you know. But they all had it in their head that they were going to die. But they were going to take a lot of them with them, you know. And um, they, put out, they put out the call to Gondor and... Gondor didn't answer and, you know, I just, you know, so it, it was, it really fell down to that one little line um, during Benghazi with the operators that were there. They're like, we're on our own. No one's coming to save us, you know? Yeah. And that's the um, um, uh, Lord of the Rings gives you another perfect example when they're going through the Dwarven caves and they, they meet the, uh, the baddies and the, I think it was the yeah. dragon was there too. If I'm correct. Uh, the, and you had, uh, his name the <clears throat> yeah yeah um when they had that scene and they're on the bridge and the the wizard is like you know go i've got this and he holds the rear guard action i mean it's a rear guard action of one it's a last stand of one but that's a perfect example it's like i might not make it but i've got to let these guys i've got to give them time to do the mission whatever the mission is right nothing like, just, nothing says that the last stand has to be a formidable outnumbering force against you know a smaller force it Gandalf and the Balrog, you know, that's a perfect example of a last stand. I think he was farming XP, to be honest with you, because he comes back as the white wizard, you know. <laughs> so I, I kind of think Gandalf's a dick. He was farming XP. He didn't want anybody. He didn't want to share the XP. He was out. Uh, <laughs> he was out there trying to be a tank, you know, and getting the aggro, you know, for you gamers out there. <laughs> All right. One of the things yeah, that one of the things that makes it so believable with uh, with uh, Tolkien and Lord of the Rings is he lived that life, like right. He he was at the Somme in World War One. Yeah. I. I think it's like in one day, like forty to fifty thousand people died in in the first hour. It was atrocious. That's where we had the uh, the great meeting of man versus machine, and we realized, holy crap, the way we've been fighting for the last thousand years doesn't work against a ma uh, machine gun, right? Or a tank. Just, That's where tanks were tank. introduced into combat. Well, the tank yeah. was introduced to, to counter the machine gun. Right. To and so no it was land. one of those to cross no man's land and get over the, the, the traps and stuff. Yep. But one of the things that that taught us, though, was, I mean, one of the things that that taught him was exactly how powerful those moments can be. Um, Because, I mean, every, like every step across the open land in the Psalm was like your own last stand against your, your own fear and, and your inner right. cowardice. Right. Like, yeah, cause absolutely. yeah, you're strolling around. Like if, if there's, um, 
there's a, a few movies about World War One that get it right where they're strolling across like it's they're on parade, shoulder to shoulder, good order and discipline. And then holy crap, it gets real. If you want to yeah. see what that looks like with that realization, have you seen the movie The Field of Lost Shoes? I have not. It uh, is about the, the Civil War. It's uh, <laughs> it's about the Battle of Newmarket. The VMI cadets were marching to fill the line because they were short on troops. And they ended up marching overnight to reach Newmarket, which is a several mile trip. And they did it, you know, a lot of them were kids. So like one of your steps is two of theirs, right? And then they get there and orders were confused. And, and long story short, when they were supposed to charge ahead just to get to the next cover, they marched in parade, parade ground precision, flags flying, drums beating. And every time someone dropped, they just closed rank and kept going. And then they get to that fence line where they heroically, depending on your perspective, where they charge the cannons and, and take them. Um, they're like, holy crap, this just got real. And and I think that's what these heroic last stands are, is that moment where people realize, holy crap, this just got real. So other than Helm's Deep and other than um, the, the Dwarven Ruins in Lord of the Rings, I don't think that actually got a name for that scene, which is something else to consider. They don't always get names. Sometimes it's just, yeah. you know, BFG nowhere and, and you know, in, in a one little field in the middle of whatever, Right, like, and, and it doesn't even get the benefit of a name. Right, you know, it it's just grid coordinate twelve B or whatever. Yeah, per, uh, you know, some sort of lat long, you know, or, or or like in Vietnam, it was like Hill three sixty five or whatever. Right. I think that was Hamburger Hill, right? Hamburger uh, Hill, and yeah. that was just a yeah, that was just a designation we gave it. Like that yep. wasn't the name of the mountain. It was just you know on, on their their maps that they they put together, they gave it a name, right? Uh, or a number, excuse me. And so, like, it's one of those things where that sometimes giving it a name gives it power that we remember. But there's for every one that we remember, there's a hundred little ones that never. It was just some yeah. guy dying for his buddies. So, yeah, so what other great. examples? So we we gave fantasy ones. Um, do you have any that that were like sci-fi? Oh yeah, aliens, perfect example. Um, LV four two six. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that, um, there's some, a lot of last stand moments going on there before they went back to the ship. Um, you know, the I think that there's a couple of them in there, actually, uh, where they start. And it's in the extended cut, the director's cut. And I don't know why okay. they cut that scene because it was so badass. But they set up these sentry guns, these auto turrets. And that um, the xenomorphs, they got into this, uh, this access tunnel that was going to go into, like, I think it was like the med bay where they were all at and they kept probing probing the guns so they were sending a massive amount of um aliens or xenomorphs towards them and the guns are just just sounds like they're just sawing down a tree and they're just tearing them up tearing them up tearing them up tearing them up and the xenomorphs just kept coming until eventually they ran out of ammo and then so now the humans are like oh shit they're out, they're out of gun. Our guns are out, are in op. You know, they're out of ammo, and then we can't go in there and, and rearm them because you know you got the Mongol horde or the Xenomorph horde coming in. So they start positioning themselves, and they just dwindle down. It was like a war of attrition until you start getting down to like Ripley and uh, Hicks. Um, Wasn't there? Um, I, I want to say it was either one of the ones where they were all in like the um, the forklift, and they added guns to them, and they were like trying to hold their own. Was that? Am I thinking Avatar, like the the blue people, oh, the Airbender? Yeah, yeah, that was Avatar, um, where they started. Avatar. I don't remember the weaponry to things that didn't have weapons before. Yeah, and so like that was a good example because they they thought it was the end and like that this was it, but we're gonna go down swinging. Um, here's an, another good example. Uh, I think it was Billy Bobby, uh, the guy the guy with the uh, Native American vibe going on in the Predator when he oh, went yeah. mano a mano. Yeah, Billy, yeah. Billy, there you go. Like that's a good example. Like. It, it was a last stand, but it was, it was man versus well alien, but man, right? Like yeah. the odds were be, not because there's is numeric odds. The odds were because he had technical and tactical superiority with his predator suit. Right. And his natural, uh, cause I, I don't know that it was ever clear how much of that was suit and how much of that was just biology for the alien, for well, the predator. The thing, um, with the, the predator culture, they're hunters, you know, so they're, they're raised in a culture where cover, concealment, 
um, camouflage, you know, obviously their, their technology advanced and they're able to go do active camouflage, you know, where they're practically invisible, but yeah, that, I mean, you're talking about a culture that's just raised to hunt things and they don't care what, as long as it's a formidable adversary or something worth hunting, which human beings usually are in those types of stories. That's what happened. And Billy's just like, all right, cool, man. Cuts a big, makes a big cut on his chest, drops all his gear. And it's just him and a machete and his Native American just balls. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to face this thing and let my boys get away. There was, um, if you look on some of the sites that list the, you know, the 10 most, whatever, everyone likes to make the listicle sites where like the most yeah. heroic, whatever. I was surprised at the number of last stands that were in anime and manga versus like traditional Western um, writing. Uh, but like, I guess Cowboy Bebop had like four of them that made several of these lists. Uh, yeah. League of Extraordinary yeah. Gentlemen. Um, it was, I'm trying to remember Mr. Hyde, something about yeah. uh, took on the Martian invasion to buy time. Yeah, I haven't actually read that series, so I don't know. I'm like, I'm just oh, remembering it's an the Alan article Moore I read. Story? Oh my god, you're missing yeah. out! It's so good. He took all these historical, um, literary characters and made a super team out of them. Okay, so like you had Dorian um, Gray, you had Dracula. Well, in the series, you had Dracula. They they uh, gender swapped it for like a Bride of Dracula, and then you had uh, Alan Quartermain. And you had uh, uh, Tom Sawyer, who was a U.S. Marshal. And then uh, you had Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You had uh, Captain Nemo. I mean, it was just like you took all these like fictional, historically just awesome characters, you know, all these protagonists and put them in a super team. So there's another one that I actually caught because my, my son likes the superheroes. Uh, it was, was it Superman, the animated series? And it was like Dan Turbin basically told dark side dark seed i can't remember dark side uh, yeah. basically dark side get off my planet uh, i thought yeah. that was i mean again it was it was one-on-one -on -one because heroic last stands and last stands in general don't have to be large-scale armies versus smaller armies or military units they can be and often are in sci-fi just because you get the smaller scope to make the feeling impact like you you narrow the scope to exponentially increase the emotional results for the reader right or the viewer. And so you often see these smaller number scale fights, right? Like if it's just a mass of troops, like if you look at the Alamo, if you didn't know who some of those names were, like it wouldn't have the emotional impact because you narrowed the focus. And right. so sometimes you see in fiction, a lot of these last stands are more narrow. So it's like, uh, you shall not pass. That's the name of the scene uh, with, yeah. with Gandalf and the Balrog that we talked about earlier. Yeah. That's yeah. you shall um, not pass. And he's Right. And, and so like those moments happen because um because we narrow the focus to, to the to the smaller level so you can relate to it right like if you're just watching you know one little blurb and a sea of extras like when any if you've watched um on Braveheart, don't we? Yeah, we won't get into the historical accuracy, but if you watch Braveheart and you want to root for William Wallace because you know Longshanks was a jerk, yeah. and yeah. you're watching that like insert blue faced guy with a kilt over here. Like, I don't care necessarily that he died because I didn't know who he was. He was just another faceless mass of, of, of humans. Right. Um, right. or in right. sci-fi fantasy, alien mythical creature, whatever, but by narrowing it, you know, to, to these individual characters, we care more. So you tend to see smaller scale last stands. I think, um, there was some that were um, the last castle from from Fables, which is the uh, the comic book. My son read that one, so I know ca that comic had a Fables pretty good one. Yeah, um, there were a bunch of last stands in George R. R. Martin's um, A Storm of Shadows. The uh, the blacksmith, the one armed blacksmith, takes takes on the giant. Yeah. Um, but so uh, we've gotten a lot of examples. We've talked about what it is. Do you guys, dear listener, have a favorite uh, last stand? Um, I mean, for, for Nick and I, we're history nerds. I mean, you're not going to beat Thermopylae. That's, that's one that's drilled into the soul of every modern warrior. Um, Absolutely. like Mo Molan lobby has taken on a life of its own. Come and take it. Um, it was exemplified. You know what? Modern example, battle of the bulge, battle right? Of the bulge. Um, battle of the bulge with that historic, um, response to the German, uh, to surrender. And he says nuts, nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like that, that those, they just, you know, the audacity, the sheer audacity is what makes them stick in our minds. 
Uh, and Guys he, with more balls than you. brains is what my platoon sergeant used to tell me. Yep, and uh, there's a famous line. Have you seen the uh, the movie, the modern movie? And we're wrapping it up. I promise. We're trying to keep the time, people. But that uh, the movie Pearl Harbor, and they're getting ready to get these pilots that survived the bombing at Pearl Harbor to go on the Tokyo's um, Do Little Raiders. The Do Little Run, um, yeah. The, the Do Little Run, and they said, you know, the, um, you're going to be heroes. And the line was, I know what heroes are. They're they're people who get medals they don't live to see, or something to that effect. Yeah, that's pretty. Um, it's close and, enough. Yeah, I mean, you know, they were more eloquent because they remembered what was in the script than I don't. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of what makes them stand out. So, uh, Nick, do you have a favorite other than what we've talked about? Um, actually, and, and people probably disagree, but I would say Man of Steel, Superman versus Zod. Okay. Yeah, okay. That, that was a good last um, stand. Yeah, I could see that. Because Zod um, was willing to destroy everything. And all Superman wanted to do, all Kala wanted to do was stop him. And he ended up having to break like a cardinal rule of being a super. He ended up having to kill him, you know. Um, I, I Other than the history nerd stuff, like I, I liked the one I wrote for On Deadly Ground because I'm biased. Um, it was called A Mother's Love. And it's about a female pilot who was a fighter pilot. And, you know, the, the enemy horde was attacking and so they basically took the fighters out to hold time for the civilians to get away from this planet that was about to be conquered right because they didn't want to live leave their families behind uh to evacuate um i liked the uh the story of the tin man in uh, the galaxy's edge universe it was about the uh, no excuse me order of the centurion in the galaxy's edge universe it was a heroic rise stand on sidon with uh with wash and crew um they ended up living some of them but it was you know the just a few Space Marines versus the world, right? And in the end, you know, some of them came home to to tell the tale of their fallen friends. Um, I thought that was a was a pretty good one. Um, I can't think of anything else as iconic that's jumping out to me. So, with that, dear listener, do you have a favorite last stand in fantasy or a last stand in sci-fi? Uh, tell us about it. Uh, what you think? Um, I, I'm hesitant to list the examples that a lot of the lists had from George R. R. Martin. Mostly because I, I don't want to start a series that I know will never get an ending. Like that would just crush my soul to not know. So I, I can't use that example for you, Joe. But give us your favorites. And with that being said, uh, Nick, before I let you go, where can listeners and viewers who enjoyed our little, and somehow we still told army stories. Man, now I know why we have guests. We, we stopped that. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, how can listeners and viewers find you if they want to support your art? Oh, you can uh, find me on Instagram and Twitter. Um, at Nick Garber Art, uh, you can find me. Message me on my company's website, apgcomics.com. You can find me on Facebook. Just type in Nick Garber Art. You'll see a very pretty picture that I drew of Stan Lee, and that's how you know you're in the right spot. And uh, that's it. That's how you find me. Okay. And uh, you can find me as uh, everywhere that's anywhere worth being as J.R. Henley, because there aren't that many of me. I don't think there are any others. Uh, if they are, they're pretenders to the throne. Um, and uh, as usual, all of uh, Nick's and I's links, um, all of them are tied to the YouTube page because you can tie the links together. So our personal stuff, if you just go to the, the Blaster and Blades YouTube page, you can find us. Um, you can find us, speaking of the, the podcast, you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Again, blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. It's the easiest way to reach us because uh, I answer that. Uh, we have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen over at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. You can find our website over at anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. Again, anchor.fm uh, backslash blasters tech and tech blades, where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep the lights on, uh, or you can support the show more directly. <coughs> coffee.com backslash author jr hanley again buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley be sure to put in the comment section that's for the podcast uh or if you want to support one of nick's pages or one of my edits you can throw that in there too uh whatever you want to do but we appreciate your support 
Uh, but sure, if, we, if you put it in the pod for for the podcast, wow, this is why we do the live reads and we don't pre-record this because messing up makes it uh, almost as much fun as if we just did a boring static clean read. But you put in the, there that's for the podcast, and I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Nick Garber and Doc Seska, duly caffeinated. They will drink until their liver explodes. Yes. Your mama didn't raise no quitter. That's what they say, right? Mama didn't raise um, no quitter. I mean, she said it, anyway, but we're an all-ages show. Absolutely, all ages. Well, I don't know with some of the stories we told. But uh, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am Jared Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of all things nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and everything that goes boom. And we will try to keep the gory army stories to a minimum. But let's face it, some of you come because you like to be tortured with those things. So our demons become your demons. And uh, don't send us the bill for the therapy because uh, it's not cheap. With that being said, thanks for coming around again, Nick. I'm glad we did this, and Me we'll have too. to uh, put together we'll have to put together one for writing realistic combat in sci-fi and fantasy. And since the mediums are different, because it's I think it could be more visceral and fantasy. I think we yeah. split those into two episodes. So you that and I should good. get together offline and put together a list of potential guests for those episodes with the credentials, absolutely, uh, with the stabbies and the pew pews. So and the pew pews. All right, I will let you go, sir. I expect twelve more pages drawn before you go to bed. Can you do it? Yes, sir. They're not going to be good. I'll I'll get them done. Let's take (laughs) fingers count. Uh, With that, we appreciate your time, dear listeners.